Welcome to the Learning Project Network, where we learn through stories to make a change. The Learning Project Network, an organization dedicated to social justice issues. We are dedicated to learning about issues that impact children, families, and communities to help start conversations that lead to solutions. We believe that through storytelling and peer support, individuals can better understand how experiences lead to outcomes. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie with The Learning Project. You guys, I'm so excited about our podcast today. You know, I have been going out into my community in Spokane, Washington, interviewing different people in the BIPOC community that are doing amazing things. I think one of the reasons why this project has been really a passion of mine, one, I love people, you guys know that. Two, um, I wanna know what we can do to connect with each other and help um, build each other up and build our businesses up and really understand the resources that are in our community. So without further ado, guys, I want to introduce Ms. Carmen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so excited to get into this conversation with you and just to be present in this space with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Carmen, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and about your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I moved to Spokane about 21 years ago. Um, with me uh, came five children. I have uh, um, children all uh, all born within a 10 year span, five kiddos, you know, approximately two years apart. Um, and this is where they were raised. Um, you know, uh, now they're adults. Um, the youngest is 26, the oldest is 36. And I have 11 grandbabies. And, oh my goodness. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So it's just such a, you know, beautiful opportunity. Um, when I looked at what my community was needing, I thought about what I needed in the past. Mm. Um, and um, that brought me to um, creating or co-creating this um, the Health and Justice Recovery Alliance, originally named the Peer Navigator Training Program. Mm -hmm. um, I brought a team together that was uh, individuals that worked within the justice system. Um, I had an attorney, um, I had um, a um, someone who works with the Public Defender's Office, mm -hmm. um, and I had a writer, and I had two, myself and one other individual with lived experience. And by lived experience, I mean uh, her and I had both navigated the child welfare system. Mm -hmm. I had navigated the juvenile justice system, the adult justice system. Mm -hmm. I had um, been homeless. Um, I had been homeless on the street with five children panhandling wow. on the street corner just to be able to feed them. Um, you know, uh, part of my story is uh, my deep struggle with addiction, you know, coming out of the child welfare system at 17 and pregnant um, and um, already addicted. Um, and then, you know, um, having no place to go, being um, so disconnected from my family of origin and having experienced so much trauma, you know, 13 yeah. placements over those years and um, but mostly just on the streets and um, and you can imagine what it's like on the streets for, you know, a child. Um, yeah. Between the ages of 12 and 17, that was my uh, my home base, you know, so there was a lot of uh, exploitation, significant trauma. Um, 
And um, so when we looked at, you know, designing what we wanted to do to support our community, we looked at who are the people that are not getting services, the ones that are screened out instead of screened in. And we knew it was the Black, Indigenous, the Latinx, uh, the non-English speakers, you know, those who didn't fit within um, the ideal service provider model and those that oftentimes were you know suffering in silence you know um part of my history is you know experiencing extreme postpartum depression um and, and psychosis after i had um my uh my third and my fourth child and being so fearful about who do i tell who do i talk to who is a safe person for me um and when I tried to explain it to my doctor, I tried to explain it to my mom, you know, and nothing, you know, no support at all. Yeah. And it got so bad that I couldn't be alone with my children. You know, my husband would take the kids over to my mom's house as he went to work in the morning. Um, he would bring them back in the evening time. I could not shower my children or bathe my children. I couldn't have any pillows or knives or scissors. I was so inundated with these horrific, uh, you know, intrusive thoughts about mm -hmm you know um you know fear that i might harm my children oh. um, and i think about that internal suffering that um, people go through especially after something so significant as a pregnancy when your yeah. hormones are all yeah. changing you know and you don't know you think you're going crazy yep. you know um, society tells you you're crazy mm -hmm. um you know at one point after i had jasmine i i went to the um I was admitted to the psychiatric ward for a few days and I'm trying to tell the doctor what I'm experiencing. Like, I'm afraid, you know, I don't want to, like, it's not a desire. I love my children. And, you know, um, and it, the, the cumulative point came at, um, I was um, I was talking on the phone to my mother, and back then in those days they had the nice little rubber thing, yep, <laughs> you know, the, yep, the curling. Yeah, yep. I had my newborn here on my chest, you know. I had my toddler sleeping, napping, and then my son laying on a blanket on the floor. Um, and I just I had this vision if I you know when I just when my mother hung up like if I moved I was going to hurt my child mm. and so I just died I literally just looked over this way and I dialed 911 and I said help I'm frozen mm. I cannot move I'm afraid I'm gonna hurt my children you know and they you know came over they brought a mental health person and mm. because I had reached out for help you know Thank God, you know, but most people can't do that. No, um, no. They didn't take my children, thank God, you know, but they had, they started bringing services into my house, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a support person, um, you know, somebody to like a therapeutic process, you know, and, and then I began to feel safe, you know, that yes. I'm okay, you know, my children are okay. I'm a safe person to be with, you know, mm -hmm. but it took that long, that many years, like two years of suffering between you know my third birth and my fourth birth to where mm -hmm. I just lived in that fear and you know that created anxiety and mm -hmm. you know stuff that I still you know residual anxiety from so many years ago yeah uh, and you know I thought about that aloneness and then you know coupled with you know domestic violence relationship mm -hmm. um you know not having um you know family support having that complex um, childhood um, trauma, um, you know, we, I designed myself and, and mostly um, 
my colleague, um, uh, Angel Tomio Sam, um, does, and she's a former student of mine. I just love this woman. She's brilliant. Um, we looked at, you know, what did we need in those moments of, uh, of trauma and crisis? And we designed the program based upon that. Um, and since it was funding through the MacArthur Foundation um, Safety Justice Challenge, um, you know, we knew that uh, we could build uh, a robust program. Um, but then, of course, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. You know, we went through some um, challenges with staffing challenges, you know, and trying to figure out how do we um, deliver, you know, this model, this model of care, but in a yeah. virtual format. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, the person that um, our director of services slash, you know, um, peer, uh, certified peer, um, Connor Murphy, um, he was able to take it online. And it's such a, it, when you think about harm reduction and trauma-informed, this is the place it is, right? Because people can join, they have their kiddos with them. Um, you know, we make sure that they have, you know, internet, computers, um, we give them a stipend for $200 a month. If they need diapers or, you know, hygiene or food, we deliver it to their door. Um, and they go through this 12 week cohort. Um, and um, after the foundational part of it, which is like, we're addressing, you know, where are you at in your recovery? If you, if you deal with substance use disorder, if you have mental health issues, you know, we're going to support you as you, um, you know, get connected to services and, and whatever you need in whatever, you know, culturally responsive manner that you need, because you are a unique individual and we're not going to force you into what size fits all. Um, you know, we've been able to support moms who were in transition, um, whose children had been removed from the child welfare system mm -hmm. and you know the system with this expectation that you know mom can pay like 60 some dollars a week to visit her kids three times a week mm -hmm. at, a, uh, at a supervised visitation center and that's not financially possible for somebody mm -hmm. who is on a fixed income mm -hmm. so you know we um, if we didn't have the funding ourselves to do that we would reach out to our community um, and do a call yeah. in for mutual care you know and so the community has been very, very um, supporting of this. And now as we're expanding out, we have a contract with DCYF to do the Strengthening Families uh, Network. It's amazing. I'm so glad Love that you're it. connected with that work. We're <laughs> going to be building out a, 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 a child abuse and prevention plan. And we're not looking at the family as yeah. a contributor, right? Yeah. We're looking at the environmental influences that are creating family crises. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Oh. And uh, so excited about I have to uh, stop you really quick, Carmen, because this yeah. is so good, y'all. If you're not watching the video, I am over here just like moving everywhere because everything that you're talking about is so crucial to people getting to that next step. Like we've been in a traditional box of like, this is mental health. This is how you get help. This is how you get care. And granted, there's a lot of people that is worked for, but the thing about a peer support person. So for those that don't know what a peer support person is, it's an individual that has that lived experience. It's something like that, that no one else can describe. Like when it's like being a woman, you know what I mean? It's like, there are certain things that you can't describe 
that are just something that you go through and another woman can connect with. Um, even though all women, we have all different experiences, but there's certain things that we can connect with um, that are very shared sacred spaces. And so, you know, having somebody that has gone through what you've gone through before and really understand you on that level and in connection with counseling and mental health services, there is a higher success rate. There's a really cool, um, for those that like to read, you know, I always like to throw in some articles, resources. There is a article that is done by Harvard University and it's called Peer Black Supports A Role in Mental Health Recovery. And they have found that with within the black community, there is a, a, a connection with peer support and mental health. And we've missed this for so long. Um, for those that listen to music and know a little bit about Lizzo, there she's a singer and she has this part in her song that says, press, uh, press, wash, curl, get you out of my hair. I don't know how it goes, but it goes something like that. But she's talking about getting her hair washed at the hair salon and being there at the hair salon. For a lot of those, a lot of us that go to the hair salon, that is very therapeutic. It's like our counseling, you yeah. know? Um, it's a very communal place. Um, it's been a communal thing from, from, from decades past history, all the way back from our, to our roots, you will find that hair and community has been a very important thing. Even when it comes to childbirth, you know, when somebody has a baby, having that community there with you and being able to walk you through this and being there for being there for the individual and so peer supports are very powerful so everything that you're talking about Carmen is essential I mean this is what most people need and they don't even know this term they don't even know that this is an option they don't even know that this is a resource that they can reach out to in conjunction to the mental health piece and the counseling um, and medication that they may need to take. Um, this is a real taboo within the BIPOC community. I can speak specifically for the Black community because both of us come from the Black community. Um, mm -hmm. And we have in our Black community where people don't want to get help. They, you know, what, what happens at home stays at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you suffer in silence. You That is a key point in what mm -hmm. you just said, Carmen, which is so many people are suffering in silence mm -hmm. because we feel like we have to be strong. We have to have the space. We have to have mm -hmm. this and we have to do this. You don't have to do anything, okay? You What you are there to do is to take care of yourself and be okay with the different types of treatment. But also we need to recognize that there are different options out there for individuals. And some people who have lots of lived experiences, they want to give back, they want to reach out, they want to connect with people, and they don't even know that this is an opportunity for them to be a part of the change that we need to see within our community. So I, I'm just, I'm loving everything that you're talking about, Carmen. Um, when you were talking about your past and you were like, you know what, these were, there are things that I needed that I just didn't get. What are you seeing in the Spokane community where people are saying, you know what, I need this and I, there, there's, it's non-existent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, that's such a great question, Stephanie. You know, I think about, you know, how families now are in crises and, um, you know, because of COVID, uh, because of financial issues, because of, uh, you know, the stress of potentially losing housing because rent has gone up like 70%. Um, you know, the economic disparities that are created by wage gaps, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, and, and very few people are talking about that, but we're working so hard to build up something for our families, you know. Yeah. But if it's the external world, the society that exists outside of us that has created those barriers for us to being able to rise, we have to address those. We have to address systemic racism. So that one of the most pervasive things that I see within our systems here in Spokane is that we fail at every level, not we, our community, the systems fail us at every level, at every touch point within the school system. Our children are being expelled, you know, um, they're being harmed, like it's a violent system, you know, um, they're being funneled into um, the, either the child welfare system or, um, you know, the school to prison pipeline, you know, yeah. we want better for them. When, it's, when society, white society talks about um, our youth, our black and brown youth, they want to identify them as gang affiliated. Mm. That doesn't, not all of our children are gang affiliated. Like, right. I mean, I don't think that there is any, uh, you know, disparities that would, uh, or any data that would suggest that, but that's their perceived, uh, you know, experience, which is rooted in the social construct of race, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, let's identify a man that is inferior so that we can enslave them mm -hmm. and let's create a patrol AE law enforcement that is going to keep him in his place mm. and now you know many so many years later it's still happening yeah. you know they have diminished the quality of life of black and brown individuals simply because of a social construct that was created by white supremacy mm. for white people to main, maintain power and superiority you know and that's it and and now like the black lives matter movement and all these movements that are seeking to um, you know elevate and and provide visibility about what is happening to our black and brown communities and stuff yeah. but they want to you know media and you know other law enforcement and the the power structure wants to see that that's not a black existence mm. For, they don't want to see it for what it is, a black existence movement. They want to see it as an anti-law enforcement. And, and it has nothing to do with that. You know, um, we're just seeing the same. See us for our humanity, you know? So that is, you know, again, each each point in the systems, you know, whether it's the educational system, justice system, healthcare system, we are being disproportionately harmed. Absolutely. You know? And this is the thing that's so hard about this conversation. I literally was talking to somebody about this. We, mm -hmm. You know, you guys, I like to share a lot of my little conversations and things like that. One of the things that's really hard is you have um, people that are not from the BIPOC community, white people, and they're saying, I didn't do this. This is something that's happened in the past. This is ancestral. This has nothing to do with me, right? Um, and then there are some people that are like, well, you know, this may have not happened or you yourself may have not done this, but there's structures in place that have really messed up our society. Let's just take everything out. Let's just think about this in a big, broad spectrum, you guys. There's so many people that have biases. Everyone has biases. Everyone has these different social contracts that have basically um, infiltrated our mind. And this is the reason why we're having these conversations 
with the BIPOC community in Spokane, I continue to say it, which is there's so many times where other BIPOC people don't want to work with each other because of competition, because they feel like one person may be better than another, or, you know, there can only be one but um, one person of color in this vicinity, they have to be the, the person that um, is um, looked at as the number one star or, you know, this person can't yeah. be a part of this. We have a lot of those pieces within our community until we're, we're able to say, you know what, let's actually talk about this in a raw way, an open way. We're never going to get through this. And so, you know, we can put a lot of the responsibility on white people, but the black people within our community, we have a lot of work to do. We got to learn to network with one another and I think um someone said to me which was really true and they had said something actually it was a video it was a video that was sent to me and it was saying that it's not that black people don't want to work together or don't know how to create things it's we've never really had the space to be like let's connect let's work mm -hmm. together let's build together um and let's support one another um it's been very competitive from all the way back to slavery, which is, you know, who's the best slave, who's this, who's that. And those pieces are generational and they transfer down from generation to generation. But we've got to have these conversations. And I'm glad you're bringing this up, Carmen, because when we're talking about peer supports or we're talking about your organization, you have somebody that really understands what you have gone through and that success rate is crucial to that peer support that's helping that person go through that. So like, um, you know, in this study, it was actually really interesting. It said it estimated that only 22% of black Americans, fewer than one fourth need mental health or mental health care actually mm -hmm. receive treatment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, if you have this large group of people that actually need mental health, need help, yeah. need assistance, and they don't get it because they don't feel like it's for them or it fits mm -hmm. them or it fits their narrative or it fits the way that their, their culture operates, you know, they're missing out on that opportunity to heal and really um, see some change in, in themselves and others around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that how that change impacts generation after generation, right? You know, and just to speak on, you know, this uh, idea that, that, you know, white leadership gets to identify um, titles for black individuals, right? You know, um, we're all socialized into colonization, right? Yes. Into white supremacy. And what has been something that has been very um, visible in Spokane is that lateral oppression exists, you know? Mm. And, you know, everybody is fighting for, because we're all coming from a space of trauma, you know, yeah. and, um, uh, and scarcity, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and so white proximity is almost like, okay, yeah, we, we've got, we're, we've mm -hmm. become now, you know, and so we adopt or assimilate into white culture, mm -hmm. their beliefs, their ideology, you know, and then it becomes very, very oppressive on the, the rest of the people, um, our people. And, and, you know, I get it, it's a survival mechanism, but I'm calling liberate, liberate yourselves, you know, uh, and, and it takes so much work, right? It takes so much. At first, we got to identify that we need to liberate, you know, yeah. and, and, and shake off those shackles, you know, yeah. you know, quit allowing, you know, white supremacy to put you up on that slave block, 
you know, and parade you around as that, like, this is, this is a, you know, my, my one black friend, or this is my, you know, black board member, or this is my, you know, one black employee, you know, the governor said diversify all community. We got the nonprofit industrial complex. It is white led, white serving, you know, and don't, you know, fails in, to incorporate black and brown bodies into their workforce. And they can't even serve those communities either, unless yeah. they're doing it with the white savior complex like let yeah. me tell you what you need we, we don't want anymore you know you've been telling us what we need for years yeah. we know what we need yeah you know yeah give us the funding and allow us to build our own programs you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and we need to step into that power you know yeah. that uh, you oof. okay y'all this is a deep conversation. This is not for anybody who's wearing their feelings on their sleeves this morning, this afternoon, or night, whatever time you were watching this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we're having a real conversation that needs to be had. And you know what's so sad, Carmen? So many people don't want to have the conversation because they know that they will be excommunicated from the community or they will be left out of opportunities or they're left out of the conversations or they're left out of a job opportunity. And so people get very scared to have the conversation versus saying, okay, you know what? Let's all get in this thing, right? Everybody's gotta get in this conversation. Everybody has to understand the pieces of the systems that are that surround us, that, do, that operate every single day that need to be addressed. You know, it's so many opportunities for us as a as individuals to create um, and to change things in our community. But if we don't speak up and if we don't talk with each other and if we don't pour into one another, we will not have the change we want to see. We're going to continue to have the same conversation decade after decade, year after year. We're going to see the same thing. And that is a it, it's a really hard um, it's a really hard uh, pill to swallow. You know, but we've got to get to the point where we say it's okay for us to have these conversations and understand that there are certain social constructs that are and systems that are dictating how we move and what we talk about, how we talk about it and how we make change. And, you know, it comes down to a lot of people are like, I'm about my money and I'm not letting anything mess up my money. But at the end of the day, we've got to ask ourselves, are we elevating each other? Are we helping one another? Are we making a difference and change in our community? Uh, we can't talk about it. We got to be about it, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that is so, so true. And when I think about like the, the money, like, you know, sometimes, you know, with, uh, with what, um, you know, white industry throws to us, you know, it's a mere pittance of what we can get, right? You know, they may be raking in millions and millions of dollars and might want to give us, you know, $300,000, you know. Um, no, <laughs> you know, we can become a, a, the distributor of the funds. We don't need white industry to tell us to be our gatekeeper, yeah. you know, and tell us here, you deserve this, you deserve this, or, you know, uh, we're gonna like, let us come for the whole pie, you know? And, and and that that is um, I think that more than anything scares uh, white supremacy right because they have never had to share power they don't know how to share power 
but we can teach them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, I mean, it's just so significant. You know, we got to put ourselves in places in which we're the decision makers of where the funding is going. Yeah. And once we're doing that, get that funding out into the black and brown communities, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just want to interject here too. You know, when we're talking about this, we talked about, uh, we've heard this conversation many times where there's like a lot of black women or black men or BIPOC people don't feel heard in the boardroom, right? They don't feel heard yeah. um, in their space and their decisions and their conversations mm-hmm. are not heard. And that is a real thing. And we have to, exactly what you're talking about, Carmen, is mm-hmm. being in a place where we can make decisions together as a community and really make change. But we can't yeah. do that until we actually recognize one another and we can actually say mm-hmm. hello to one another. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can look at each other and see the beauty and differences of each other you know when we look at somebody that might be a little bit more radical than a more conservative black person that's not a that's not a place for you to shun that person that's a place for you to say you know what that's my sister that's my brother that's who they are Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i have a different viewpoint but we can still work together collaboratively to make changes Mm -hmm. and make differences because we all have spaces for each other but we've got to see the beauty of each other i just went to manitoba park and there's so many different flowers out there and they're all beautiful in their own right and some of them are tall some of them are short some of them are prickly some of them mm-hmm. are like letting off all kind of pollen uh some of them are very contained yeah. you know that's kind of the way i look at our community we're all yeah. different we all bring something to the to this beautiful scenery but we've got to see the beauty in mm-hmm. us we have to see the beauty in what we bring and how we bring it yeah. and not eat, ask each other to adjust and say you have to bring it the way i bring it um mm-hmm. your kingdom is not going to be my kingdom but you know what we are mm-hmm. all beautiful queens and we all bring something to the kingdom so let's let's shine together as a community but again we've got to get to the point where we can even just have the conversation about how do we support one another carmen what do you hope to see like in the future with your business and how it is represented in our community and how it connects with people Mm, yeah, first, I, you know, I just want to acknowledge what you were saying about, you know, the beauty in all of us and stuff, because back in the day, like I'm 54, 54 um, you know, you pass, you know, you walk past a black person and you nod, like there's this like, you know, hey, I recognize you. I may not know you. I may have never seen you before, but I recognize me in you yes. and the shared struggle that we have experienced and now we are able to liberate ourselves from. And I want to, that, I see that for our community. I see yeah. that where there has been such divisiveness, I see the possibilities of coming together and how powerful that will be and how healing that will be for our people. Yeah, um, yeah and, and for my organization, I'm so excited. You know, we're getting ready to move into this new phase where we're going to have a building. We um, previously, pre, prior to COVID, we're partnered with its own project. Uh, you know, I'm looking at, you know, uh, having a, a, a space where we can have childcare, classrooms, you know, um, office space, a yoga studio, a commercial kitchen, and maybe even a shop. You know, I've, ter- I've talked to my brother Curtis Hampton. You know, he's uh, working with some, uh, you know, people that uh, that do construction training. I want to bring the construction training because mm-hmm. you know, college isn't for everyone. I studied. Yeah. Uh, 
welder and a cement mason. I'm like, somebody said, hey, come on, be a cement mason. I'm like, I'm not carrying under using that jacket. <laughs> That's not me. It messed up my hair. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, like, I want to see, like, you know, non-traditional roles and stuff, you know, that we can, we can come up in so many different kinds of ways. Um, you know, I'm bringing my my daughters into it. You know, um, they're they're just getting through the peer training right now. Um, you know, both of them just brilliant, brilliant uh, young women who understand child development. You know, you know, have lived through the trauma of having a drug addicted mom. You know, um, of having you know multiple placements in in, uh, in the child welfare system. You know, you know, reuniting with a parent. You know, have you know experiencing loss. You know, I mean, part of my story is I, I lost my son to suicide last year. You know, I mean that I want to support those communities that are hurting. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you talk about like how in the black community we've reframed what mental health is. Going into that hairdresser, you know, um, setting with that friend, you know, releasing that trauma, that pain, or you know, whatever we are experiencing, yeah. you know, but being able to talk about it is no longer taboo. We we don't have to keep it in yeah. you know we put it down in the pressure cooker you know yeah. and we're boiling over you know yeah. we're tired we're injured yeah. you yeah. know and we have to face that every day and so you know connecting with that trusted person you know whether that's you know a peer um you know a, a brother or a sister you know in community mm -hmm. you know making sure that we have that access you know one of the things i'm really excited about to do through some of my consulting work um, uh, you know, we've been so, being able to support, you know, a, a long running, uh, you know, organization uh, in Spokane, uh, you know, to build up what they're already, the greatness that they're already doing. Um, and, uh, you know, Providence Healthcare Systems has come in and, you know, support them, supported them to get, you know, this position filled. And, you know, it'll have like, you know, crisis intervention. Um, but it's also, again, looking at that big picture you know but I can't speak too much on that because it's coming out they're gonna be coming out with the PSA very soon um, and uh, we will be doing uh, mid-September um, a, uh, a town hall you know bringing some people together we're doing it on this virtual space because hey we're comfortable with that we don't want to bring our babies and our grandbabies out and stuff you know this space is okay we'll come together when when uh, it's good bring bread together but until then, we'll be here in this virtual space, you know, so. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, man. I am, I'm so excited about hearing people's passions and what they want to do and what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that just came to my mind when I was listening to your vision, your dream for your organization is we've got to get to a point where we're not afraid to dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we've got to be, uh, we got to stop being afraid of speaking what we mm. want to existence, right? Yeah. And I struggle with this a lot, y'all, because I will say one thing and then I'm like, no, maybe I shouldn't do that because it, I'm not capable of this or I'm not, I'm not talented in this way or I'm not talented in that way. You know, looking at all the things you can't do versus what you can do is, is a huge thing. That's going to move your mindset. It's going to move your body. It's going to move your spirit. It's going to help you to make action. It's going to help you be proactive versus deactive. And I, I love your vision and your dream 
for our community. And I am just excited to see where this is going to go. And if people are looking to be a peer mentor or want to bring that program to their church or their organization or their business, or maybe they're smart starting something really small online or big online, you know, um, where can they find you, Carmen? How can they connect with your organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can call me. You want my number? <laughs> you want to you, can, you know what? Honestly, you guys, if you are driving or you're not sure, all her information be, would be will be right below. Um, yes. But um, yeah. do you, you have? I know you have a website and all of that good stuff. Yes, um, yes. Uh huh. Our website is under the Peer Navigator Training Program. You know, I can be reached through there. Um, you can email me personally. You can call me. You can send me a text. Like I got awesome. people texting me all the time. Like, and I want to be responsive and supportive you know um in the many roles and hats that i wear you know i work with people you know to fill out grant applications because i knew what it was mm -hmm. like for me you know as a person who had no idea what she was doing you know and built a program backwards forward you know but we did it you know so what i learned i'd love to share you know and uh you know, not expecting any compensation or accolades, just want to be able to support our community. That's it. I love it. I love it. You guys, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. It has really filled my spirit. I don't know who needs to hear this. If you know there's somebody that you can think of that's like, they need to hear this. They need, I need to share this with them. Or I want to take this podcast to my staff meeting and I want us to talk about a part of this, this podcast. Take it, share it. You guys, let's build onto this conversation. We have just got to, we just got to start. So definitely know that we're going to be coming back with more podcasts about what's going on in the Spokane community, what's happening in our BIPOC community. I'm so excited, y'all. We, we just, we have a lot of great stuff going on. So uh, without further ado, Carmen, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I am so excited about you being here, you guys. And until next time, I will see you soon. See you later, guys. Bye. Hi, this is Stephanie. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to my podcast segment today. I don't know if you live in the Spokane, Washington area, but we are encouraging everyone that owns a Black-owned business, at least 50%, to register their businesses with the Carl Maxey organization. You do not want to miss this. Check out their page and definitely enroll your organization or business to stay connected with our local community.